Ruchim Haboyim B'Shem Hashem Berachnuchem Ves Hashem. Welcome to our weekly Wednesday Shir. This Shabbos Pashas Pinchas. This Shabbos is also the first Shabbos of what's known as Shabbos and Bein Hamitzarim. It's tomorrow morning. It's not a twenty-four hour fast. It starts tomorrow morning. Before daybreak is the fast of the 17th day of Tammuz, the day that they broke into the gates of Yerushalayim. <coughs> and therefore we fast, and this is the commencement of what's known as the three weeks, or more formally as Bein HaMitzarim, and therefore this Shabbos, Pashas Pinchas is the first of the three. This is a three-week period that begins tomorrow and ends in culmination with Tisha B'Av. Mi'etz HaShem, Abba'aleinu L'Tayva Mashiach will reveal himself to us today and redeem us from this horrible, horrible exile and we will not have to fast tomorrow or Tisha B'Av but rather we'll be celebrating in the Beis HaMikdash, in the Shalayim, in HaKedosh, Mehedev, Yimena, Amin, Sela. As we said last week, the Rambam pointed out to us that we need to always, whatever we mention, Mashiach needs to be with a heartfelt prayer. We need to immediately, immediately be awakened with that outcry that we want to hear, we want to see Mashiach and hear the Shefa and go to Atzeinu HaKadosha. So for the next three weeks, in addition to the Parsha, we also will discuss a little bit about Hilchas Beis HaBachira, the laws pertaining to the construction of the Holy Temple. Now the laws, generally laws are in Shulchan Aruch, or in Yadach Hazok, as we know, in the Rambam. In Mishnah, we have Masechtas Midas, as we've had over the course of the last years, we've done the same. And in the Navi, in the Prophets, we have it in Yecheskel. Basically, in Yecheskel, we have a discussion of the third Beis Hamidosh, the prophecy which is shown to him. The Rambam, for the majority, for the most part, talks about the second and the Mishnah is both second and first. Pashas Pinchas also discover, goes through several different parts in our history. The story of the zealot Pinchas The story of B'nai Tzlavchad, the daughters of Tzlavchad, the Parsha on Rish Now, I've just, um, I guess, contradicted myself in the worst way. 
by phrasing it as stories. Chas v'shalom to say anything in the Teda is a story. And that's why when it comes to Pasha's boy, and the Teda talks about the first mitzvah mentioned, Achedish Hazel Achem Reish Chadashim, talking about Reish Chadash. Rashi immediately says, the Teda should have started from here, since Teda teaches us halachas and how to behave, how to act. But from there we see, therefore, that all that is taught to us in Bereshis, up until Pasha's Bay, is not a storybook. Torah comes from the Lashon Hayro'o, teaching us a lesson, life lessons. And therefore we may not call it a story. I use the phrases story because when we take the little boy, little child, little girl and we sit down and read them about the Parsha the Medrash says or any other children's book that teaches about Parsha it will sound to them like a story. There are a myriad of lessons to be learned from Pinchas. There are a myriad of pressing questions about what happened with Pinchas. And then with the mention of Tzlavchad Avinu Meis, our father died, but he was not involved with the conspiracy of Kairach. Each one of these topics are lessons in their own right that can be discussed forever. The shear doesn't go on forever, it only goes for an hour. And therefore we will try to depict to the best of our capacity and capabilities and to clarify for the most part what transpired with Pinchas and what transpires with B'nai Slavchat. The story of B'nai, not the story again, the mention of B'nai Slavchat although it's not the beginning of the parasha, we should start from the beginning and then rather than start from the middle. But, in itself, is a very, very powerful lesson. The Chal Yisrael had just come off of this horrific event with Kairach. And this actually traumatized, for the most part, many people in Kal Yisrael. To an extent that uh, I'm sure they kept looking under their feet constantly. Sorry, to make sure the ground doesn't open up and swallow them. So when someone mentioned somebody dying in the desert... 
although everyone knew that the people in the desert were decreed between 20 and the age of 20 and 60, they would all die in the course of the 40 years. So what is the reason for the Bnei Slavcha to actually come forth and say, our father did not die with Kerach. He's dead. He's dead. Why would I think he would have died with Kerach? He could have died with any one of the other thousands and thousands of people that died in the course of the 40 years. And another thing, by the mention of Kerach, truthfully, that's already a level of almost Lashon Hara. He didn't, there wasn't a present story. Nobody's, nobody had a good memory here, this whole story of Kerach. And therefore by saying that their father died, but not with Kerach, it was already, it was throwing a derogatory mention on Kerach. Did we have to speak nicely about Kerach? No. But were we allowed to actually talk Lashon Hara? Also not. I've told this story a zillion times of the Magid preacher was called to speak. This is how they made a living. They'd come speak and they would rain fire and brimstone on the people and thereby awaken the people to tshuva. So people would actually pay for that. And they would invite Magidim constantly to come to their town for a Shabbos to speak. And the real Magidim had what to talk about. And they had a message and the message was clear. One such Magid, though, had a speech for only one particular week. And that was the week of Kerach. Because he was able to hail the brimstone, hail the fire, throw it down on the people, how we may not be like Kerach, we may not be like his nation, like his people, like his followers. Anyway, what do you do the rest of the year? Pashkarach once a year. He would hide. And he would look around and wait for somebody to really come up with a good contract, the highest payer for Kerach. And he'd go running. And he made a nice penny because his speech was so powerful. By him in a city, little shtetl caught him. They asked him to come and Pasha Vayera. Busy, and they would not let up. So finally, he had no choice but to acquiesce and to come speak. The Maggid would speak right before Musaf. Supplement prayer 
on Shabbos by day. They would daven Shachris, they would read the Pasha, the Torah, they would put the Torah away, and then they would daven, then they would, the Magid would speak, and then they would start Musaf. No. I froze. Why did it freeze? Okay, froze it did. No. You have to pick up an audio of the rest, the story, at least. So, the Magid comes up to the pulpit and he's extremely nervous. He's been nervous the whole night. Nervous. All morning he's pacing back and forth. What is he going to say? What is he going to do? Well, finally it's his moment. And he gets up to the pulpit and he's sweating profusely. It happens to people when they get nervous. He's sweating profusely and he takes out his handkerchief. Takes out his handkerchief from his pocket and he wipes his brow. As he wipes his brow, he puts down the handkerchief, and the handkerchief slides right off the pulpit onto the ground. Well, this is even more embarrassing his handkerchief falling to the floor. So, for the humiliation, he. <laughs> screamed, he almost swore at his handkerchief and said, ah you should go with Kerach and his whole this whole group into the ground gave it Kerach and can't say it in the other eye everybody's looking, wow he's really angry at his handkerchief then he turns to the people and he says now now that we're talking about Kerach already and he started his speech on Kerach. Not planned, not premeditated, but I guess he got away with it. And he got his speech in. Okay, um, we're going to restart video. Okay, I'm sorry if you missed the end of the story. You can pick it up on shir.us, S-H-I-U-R dot U-S. And you can listen to that part for the audio. It's about 12 minutes into the shir. And you can just listen to the story itself. So now, by the mention of Kerach, the mere mention of Kerach, was really a get of Lashon Hara. But the daughters of Tzlavkad were very, very concerned. And their concern was a few things. First of all, 
apparently the people from Kerr's camp were not being given any kind of inheritance in the land. Also, and more so, they wanted to show the righteousness of their father. According to one opinion, their father, Tzlavchad, was the Mekosh Shetzin. He was the one that chopped the wood on Shabbos and was killed. And therefore what their message really was, was that our father was really a, a Kaddish. He sanctified God's name. And therefore, he needs to have what he needs to get, what we need to get. Terah tells us, therefore, this is one of the places that Moshe Rabbeinu was punished, shall we say. And the punishment was that he had forgotten this halacha, or had not learned it yet. More likely forgotten. And therefore says to them, I hear you. Apparently Aaron hears you and this Canaan and everybody hears you, but nobody seems to have an answer for you. Come. Come, my daughters. Let us hear what HaKadosh Baruch Hu will answer. And the Almighty speaks to Mesha and tells them, Cain ben Eslavchad, yes. Doesn't just say, the halacha is such and such, but rather Cain ben Eslavchad, not just giving them gerecht, as we say, not just making them right in their own way, but another level even more so, giving them a spiritual level that their father was at and therefore yes the Bnei Slavchod are bringing this about once again we hear the battle cry Loma Yigora not Loma Nigora why are we less but Loma Yigora why would it be less and why is it worse Shem Avinu Mitech Mishpachtoi the name of our father within his family. It is not his fault that he had no sons. He was blessed with us daughters, and the Torah enumerates the names of the daughters, and then later the Torah enumerates again the names of the daughters, and a repetition of this happening, and it, the Torah enumerates in a different order. So obviously it was not a chronological order, but Rashi tells us, it teaches us, that they were all equally holy. So it didn't matter what order you put them, who was first, who was fifth, it didn't matter. So this is their title, Lama Yigora Sheimavinu Mitech Mishpachli. And Rashi explains, from their words, what do they mean to say? He was not involved in politics. He didn't get involved with other sins that people did together. He 
He died only on his own sin, something he himself did. And he himself did it, and didn't cause anyone else, Chas Hashanah, to sin as well. So therefore, what was his sin? And we said before, Rashi said, that is a Machlekes, Rabbi Akiva, Rabbi Shimon. Rabbi Akiva says he was Mekreshish from Mekreshish Eitzim. Rabbi Shimon says he was from the Mapilim. I don't remember if I've said this before, so I'll, but we'll say it over again if we did or we didn't. So the reason, therefore, that the daughters did not clearly say what their father's sin was, was obviously a mitzvah of kibidav, respect for the father. If they would have spelled out exactly what their father's sin was, in this situation, that Meshe Rabbeinu and the Nesiyah Eidah were here, were now standing, actually if you're keeping score at home, sorry, no. This would have been a tremendous embarrassment for their father, mentioning again his sin in front of everybody. Therefore, all they did was excluded the other sins that could have happened. From the Mislaninim, or from part of Das Kedach. And automatically they would understand themselves what his sin actually was. We still need to understand this whole thing here. Why? Do we care what Slavcha did? The daughters, in essence, according to what we see here, had their own merit. The mere fact they had no brothers, so they're asking for the inheritance of their father. Why do we care how he died? Why is that relevant at all? The daughters of Tzlavchad relied on the guarantee of HaKadosh Baruch Hu when they were still in Mitzrayim. HaKadosh Baruch Hu said, V'yitzhei eschem, V'yitzhei eschem, Eloretz, V'nesati Eisa, L'chem Meirasha. I will give to each one of you an inheritance. This promise was given to each and every Jew that left Messiah. Unfortunately, the Deirah Midbar, as we know them, the generation of the desert, lost the schus. By the Chetah Maraglim, the sin of the Maraglim, everybody was told they're going to die. Therefore, it was not those who left Egypt, but rather the next generation. So the daughters come along and say, Our father got this promise to inherit the land. 
But he did not sin in a way that he would have been deprived of getting any land in Etzel. But rather, with his own sin he died. Therefore, it's not possible that he should lose his inheritance. Even though the daughters were really not counted for anything. This is therefore the Machlik and Rabbi Akiva and Rabbi Shimon. Rabbi Akiva was always Mazaka ibn Israel. He always spoke good, he always found an excuse for Eden. And therefore he says, His sin was the secretion of Shabbos. He went to chop the wood. This was a private sin. A sin on him and his, he himself. Which he also learned about and had came across before Martin Taylor. Since this all happened before Martin Taylor, therefore it was not so severe. Was it of Shimon holds? No. This has to do with a sin. There has to be a connection with the sin and what the daughters are complaining. Therefore, according to the opinion of Reb Shimon, the Mapilim are those that were killed trying to enter the cell, and therefore they were Mesa Nefesh, four rights of cell. So therefore the daughters were definitely in line to receive this inheritance. The fact that HaKadosh Baruch Hu accepts this complaint of B'nai Slavchad shows us the greatness of Tshuva. Just like the Mesidus Nefesh, the abnegation of the Mapilim, they merited that the daughters should be able to inherit in the land. Same also by us repairing and fixing the way of our the reason of our exile, of our Golos, will be Zechib Mehedek Lugulu Amitiz Vashtemaide Mishach Sakeno. Amen. Ultimately, they went to Meshe Rabbeinu. The truth is, they knew. They didn't have to come to Meshe Rabbeinu. Everybody knew. Father died. There's no sons. The daughter should get it. It only made sense. There's no uncles. No, none of the other heirs were around anyway. And even if they were, the other heirs don't precede the daughters. 
but they came to ask by Das Tera. They tell a story of an Askin. Hey, he that was very involved in, in Tziburi, matters of Tziburi. was a few weeks before his child's wedding and his wife came to him and said that there's a special request going out they need a donor for a kidney and she happens to be a match we all know if you don't know a person has two kidneys and a person can live on one so, somebody who both their kidneys give, if somebody gives them a kidney, they can live on for many years after. Anyway, so she wanted to give this kidney. So, Terence said, We have the chasana coming up. You're going to be incapacitated for the chasana. You're not going to come to your own child's chasana. But this person is in dire need. Kids, they went to the Rav. And the Rav said, ask the doctor if she'll be back for the chasana. If she'll be back for the chasana, then yes, she should do it now. So they went to the doctor Dr. Mira Khajman, that if we wait a few weeks, so she goes through all the tests and everything else, she won't make Birchasana. But if we expedite everything, chick check, what you do, one, two, three this week, then yeah, she'll be fine Birchasana. Divaldic. So they immediately entered, she immediately admitted to the hospital, and they started all the battery of tests. And they're testing her kidneys, and they find that Rahman al-Tzlan right under the kidneys is a tumor. And this tumor is in a place situated where it grew any bigger, it would close the vein that lets the blood go through to the heart from the leg. Which Rahman al-Tzlan would be fatal on the spot. So, the good news and the bad news. Good news is they were able to take care of the tumor right away and save her life. Bad news was she wasn't able to give her kidney. She was disqualified. But Bashkakapratis that very day another donor, another match showed up and gave his kidney, or her kidney. Das Tata. Rabbi said Das Tata. Saved her life. The doctor said, had she gone with this tumor, she would never have felt it. She never would have made it to the wedding. Let's get into Pinchas a little bit. Pinchas ben Elazar ben Arei Nakoyin Heishvitz Hamosma ben Esol bekanis Kinasim Seicham ben Echlises ben Esol bekanis Pinchas the son of Elazar 
son of Aaron the Kayin. Turn my anger away from Bnei Yisrael by zealously avenging me among them. So I did not destroy Bnei Yisrael because of my zeal. Very powerful. Zimri, the leader of the tribe of Shimon, was up to no good. And there's a deadly plague <laughs> spreading, killing thousands of Eden. And Zimri publicly took a priest, a princess from Midian into his tent. Moshe, Elazar, Zkenim. Everybody saw Zimri do this horrific act. And they just stood dumbfounded what to do. Little Pinchas was not a leader. He was not a Zekin. <clears throat> At this point, he had literally no, no stature. But he remembered that Moshe taught the correct response to such a situation. And immediately he brought the law to Moshe's attention. So Moshe said, go for it. Adrama. Moshe's expression, that the one who reads the letter, be the agent to carry it out. Pinchas went into Zimri's tent, and he saw him sinning with a non-Jewish woman, he killed him. Killed them both actually. And at that point, the plague miraculously stopped. Pinchas now was rewarded by God as a zealot, rewarded for his zealousness, Kahunas Elam, the internal covenant of goodwill, Bisisholim, Bisikuna. For him and for all his descendants becoming Kehanim. Rashi on this episode comments At the time of the Chet Egel, the sign of the sin of the golden calf, Mesha confronted six hundred thousand people. Moshe went up for 40 days and 40 nights to daven for those people. And here he was helpless. But rather, the incident took place so that Pinchas should be where he belongs to be. He should take what suited for him. So let us take one thing at a time what we're learning from this. Firstly, there are times we cannot look only at the leaders for instruction. We need to get Tasteira for everything. In this instance, we could almost say there was a lack of clarity. But that was not Stam, that was Moshe Rabbeinu we're talking about, and therefore... It was divinely orchestrated. It was Menashemayim. That Moshe did not act on what had to happen. So that Pinchas should take what suited for him. Also, 
if you have the capability of doing something which makes a positive impact and this comes to your attention you need to step up to the plate and get involved the inaction of all those around all those that were responsible the silence of the regular sources of inspiration is not an indication that you can just stand there and do nothing every person is charged with a unique spiritual mission it's part of the divine plan no one in the else no one else in the world can fulfill it the inaction of others is Hashem's way of showing you if you're inspired by this that you should take to the plate needless to say of course it needs to be something that's Bikdusha not something that you're just a wild lunatic and decide that you're going to take things in your own hands and you're going to run the world and you're going to berate people and you're going to put people in their places because you think that they are not good people and not good whatever it might be if it's Dovash or Bikdusha, sees to it that people don't do Avedis. And that people follow Teda, then you follow the inspiration. Why did Pinchas get rewarded so greatly? Because he was a Kanoi, Kana is Kinosi. He was a zealot. He was zealot, he was zealous for God. He raged God's rage, avenged, avenged God's vengeance. So this implies that this Aveda, this sin that Pinchas avenged is considered an affront to God himself more than any other Aveda, why? what was so bad that Simri did? Siddhas explains when a Jew does an Aveda any part of Tera's commandments the sole faculties that he employs in committing this sin go into a state of exile to goals and therefore they're vested mm-hmm. against their will in an act of defying God's will The golos of an ashama, the exile of a soul, is greater than one when one sins with his reproductive abilities. 
Because reproduction draws from every fabric of a human life and the essence of a living soul. The sinner himself remains a yid. His godly energies remain holy. Even in the state of exile and captivity. Until he does tshuva. If a child that was born from this <coughs> union, prohibited union, the illegitimate child whose soul actually draws its life from the souls of those who conceived it, is still Jewish. Provided the mother is Jewish. If Hashem, the child becomes a mamzer, it's a different level also. But a child born from a non-Jewish woman is not a Jew. And therefore, a sin such as Zimri's causes the essential material of a Jewish body and soul to lose its Jewishness entirely. It's breaching the inherent distinction that God created between Jew and Gentile. Now we understand one of the reasons why Pinchas was given kuhuna, priesthood. It's reality of nature. Rashi compares it elsewhere, unchangeable realities of day and night. Because Pinchas was zealous, he was, a zealous, he was zealous for God avenging Zimri's attempt to breach nature's distinction between a Jew and a Goy. So God re- rewarded him with another breach of nature as well and granted him Kahuna, which until that point he was not a Kayin. question becomes and I hope you're listening to this part of the year. Pinchas saved the Jews and was given kahuna for himself and for his generations after did Moshe never save the Jews Moshe saved the Jews many a times and he did not get rewarded with anything hereditary. Adrab, and more so. Meshach requested his children to inherit his position. And he was denied by God. So why Pinchas? So great. What was so unique about his actions? That he did get a reward for himself and his future generations. Moshe saved the Jewish people by beseeching God to forgive their sins. He davened. He davened 40 days and 40 nights that God retract the harsh punishments they faced. Pinchas saved the Jewish people through his actions. He heroically killed the sinful prince of Shimon.
and thereby, thereby sanctifying God's name with a tremendous Kiddush Hashem before Kal Yisrael. And the Yidin themselves did Tshuva because they saw it. He stopped the deadly plague. Mesha saved the Yidin above, on high. Pircha saved them with his efforts to elevate them from below. Practically speaking, Mesha went in the Mila for 40 days and 40 nights. Who knew what was going on up there? Did anybody hear that they were all being destroyed for the Chetayil? They knew they were in trouble. They didn't know what sever- how severe and how how far. And yet, they av- Moshe averted tragedy. Here by Pinchas, they were dying like flies. And Pinchas came and saved the day and they stopped dying. This was down to earth. And in the same vein, Moshe himself put his spiritual life on the line. If you're not going to forgive the Jews, erase my name from the Torah. Pinchas risked his physical life by going in there and killing the prince of Shimon, which anybody, the, the, the whole tribe of Shimon, people could have turned around, his guards could have turned around and killed him. He was a beloved leader. The underlying uniqueness of Pinchas' effort was the focus on assistance and illumination from above but on transforming and elevating darkness itself in himself he harnessed even his physical body as a chariot to do the divine will not only in himself but others as well and inspired them to transform their lives and return to a God and do tshuva. In this way, Pinchas was not only saved, the Jewish people in that moment of wrath, but he brought about permanent, last, permanent and lasting change in the Jewish people and their relationship with God. He's changed their whole vista of the Jew. So since his effort was uniquely was grounded in their nature and their effects, his reward as well was eternal. An eternal covenant firmly established for him his descendants after him for all time. So now while the Jews are son as we said, was serving of Elizara, and they were sinning with the daughters of Meav. And Zimri himself did what he did. And Pinchas, as we said, took action. 
But how is it that actually, we said before, Pinchas came to Mesha and said to Mesha, isn't such and such the law? And Mesha said, yes, go ahead, act on it. How is it that he himself came up to understand and to remember the law? And to do it, implement it correctly. Therefore, the Torah tells us, Pinchas ben Alazar ben Arina Koyin. Arn we know is Ayiv Shalom v'Reidiv Shalom. Ayiv is Abrias mekarvan latera. Arn pursued peace and love, promoted love between people, disputing parties. It was pure, pure love for a fellow Jew. Moshe and Aaron stood before Parai. Aaron did most of the talking. He demanded to free the Jewish nation because he could not see the Jews suffering any longer. By the Chet HaEgel, Moshe says, what happened? And Aaron says, I did it. He tried to take the fall for Kal Yisrael not to have a fellow Jew hurt, Chas It was Aaron Schus that the Ananiya Kovit flew around the, sailed around the Eden and kept them comfortable in the desert and protected them from all the perils of the desert. Pinchas ben Elazar ben Aaron. It doesn't just say Pinchas ben Elazar ben Aaron as well. Why? He was an Enakul of Aaron Akayin. And therefore Pinchas inherited Aaron's love for a fellow Jew. His devotion for their well-being. So as this plague was taking place and people were dying like flies, one after the other, Pinchas frantically searched for a way to stop it. And therefore he had such a, because he had such a strong desire to save the Jews, this motivated him to risk his own life and to implement that law in order to stop the plagues. So therefore the Torah reiterates that Pinchas was son of Lazar of Aaron, the source of Pinchas' profound love for the, faith, for the people, which dictated his thinking process and drove him to absolute self-sacrifice, was because he was an enical of Aaron Akayim. Pinchas came to bat. Keep his score on the Gemara Sanhedrin, pay Bezim and Bez. 82, side 2. Shisha, Nisim, Nasu, there were six miracles that were done to Pinchas. Pinchas went to avenge and to kill Zimri, who desecrated God's name, Rahman al-Islam, with Isha Mijanas, as we just said. In public, many miracles were done for him.
Gemara says, the six Nisim were done to him, whereas in different places, in Chazal, Targum Yenisim in Azil, says twelve. Pinchas <coughs> And say Pele Nasali and not Nais Nasali. You see Pinchas in your dream, a miracle will happen. Why wonder? We just said that what happened to Pinchas were miracles, not wonders. So understand the difference in a miracle and a wonder. It's the way they affect nature. The fact of nature is totally bent out of place, totally taken away through a miracle. But the fact that it had to be done is for, shows the value, why it's done. The greatness of a wonder. is something that stands higher than nature to begin with. And nature doesn't even have any place with it. This is the greatness of Pinchas. The miracles that were done to him were not combined with miracles that were private. Each one of them had to be renewed and override nature. It, not in such a way was it done. Here was a pillar, one great pillar. Everything was higher than nature here. The reason that Achish Baruch Hu worked with Pinchas in the way of a pillar, of a wonder, we see, we derive this from also the service of Pinchas that he was not used to. Is a Veda Pella. And therefore, Akadish Baruch who acted the same way, Mida, Kineged Mida, if you keep his score at home, you might have said to Chesam and Beis. Talks about Mida, Kineged Mida. An attribute apropos to another. So therefore, the miracle and wonder in the service of Hashem is explained clearly in Messias Nefesh. And this is two different ways. A ness that the person, the general way, person applies himself. If need be, though, person goes over the regular boundaries and does with Messias Nefesh. A wonder is an Aveda. Which is literally total mysterious nefesh. 
higher than the nature can actually handle. The Jew gives himself up totally to the want of God. So much so that he totally nullifies his own will and his own, his own existence. And therefore he has complete Mesidus Nefesh. This was the level of Pinchas. He was a person of Mesidus Nefesh in his essence. And therefore he endangers himself in a way that he didn't have to. And if you'd ask the halacha, according to what if you keep his score at home, again, Sanhedrin, Beis of Aleph, 82 side 1, it would be halacha ain made in Cain. It might be the halacha, but we would not tell you, we would not pass that way. But since his whole essence was Mesiris Nefesh, he didn't ask any questions. He threw himself into the fire of the Kanez Kinez Hashem. This is our lesson that we learn from Pinchas. Not from the story, but from Pinchas. To be Jews of Mesiris Nefesh, with Etzim Mahus, and to involve ourselves in the strengthening of Yiddishkeit, the spreading of Teda through Mesiris Nefesh, Mesiris Nefesh on a constant basis. We don't think back of how hard it is and the punish and the problems that we have and what's involved, trials, the tribulations, we give ourselves totally over to Rats Hashem. And then we are Zeicha, in a way of Pele, it brings the Pele, the Gula Mitis Vashlema. And I can tell you, Shluchim, throughout the world, I have children, Baruch Hashem Shluchim, in different parts New Zealand in Switzerland they live true, true Messias Nefesh they're there spreading Yiddishkeit teaching Yiddishkeit with true, complete Messias Nefesh in Navi Yecheskel chapter 40 until chapter 43, 40, 41, 42, 43, talk about the prophecy which describes the third Beis Hamikdash. And the Navi begins, Be'asim V'chom Yishana, 25th year of the Golosenu, Be'reish HaShana, Be'asa L'Achidish, Rosh Hashana on the 10th of the month. We know the 10th of the month of Tishrei is in Kippur, not Rosh Hashanah. And here, because it was a Yevil, therefore, according to one opinion, Rosh Hashanah comes out on the tenth day of the month. That's going to Rashi's peers. That explains others. There's different explanations as to how this comes out. And this was Babas Rishon Achre Asher Huksa Ha'ir. Fourteen years after the, the nation, the, the city was destroyed. He says, on this very day, God's hand became over me and brought me there. 
it was something that I had no choice, something that I did not ask for, something that I did not understand how it happened. He literally took me out from where I was and brought me into Yerushalayim. And he came to show me, he took me there to show me the Beis Hamidosh Hashlishi. That is the first pasuk in Yecheskel. And yet, Shem will elaborate, hopefully, in the future Shirim, a little more on the Yecheskel itself, what happens. In the first Mishnah, Shleishim HaKemes, HaKeinim, Shemenim, three places the Kahanim watched, Beis HaMikdash, Beis HaFtinas, Beis HaNitzos, Beis HaMeked, and the Levim Be'asim, Echad Makim, and the Levim were in 21 places. Chamisha, Chamisha, Shari Abayis, Five of them were the five gates of the, of the Holy Mount, Temple Mount. Four on the four corners. Within it, another five of the five gates of the Azara. On the four corners of the outside. One after the base of Kapedis, and therefore in total of 21. Quickly, the next Mishnah is Ish Harabayis and Magzer. I'll call Mishmer Mishmer. The person called Ish Harabayis. He used to go around on each and every shift. Avukas Delk in the front of him, there was torches in front of him lit. Any guard did not stand up when they saw him. Ish Harabayis, the Ish Harabayis said, Shalom Alechad, peace to you. He didn't answer him. Nikashu Yashan, he saw he was sleeping. Chayfti b'makli, he used to beat him with a stick. Rishus hayalei lisreif, as Ksusa had permission to literally light him on fire, and all of a sudden he made him ma'kel b'azara. People in the Yishlaim would say, "What's the screaming in the azara?" And everybody would answer, "Kel ben Levi leikev begadav nistalafim." It's that gar, it's the voice of a Levi that's getting beaten and his clothes are being burnt. Shishna Mishmarte slept on his shift. He was the Tana that many of the things we relied on to his memory. And he says, Pamachas Matsu Es Achi Ima Yishan Once found my uncle, the brother of my mother, sleeping and they burned his garments. And quickly in the Dambam, because I'm just about running out of time. The Dambam is Hilchas Beit Shabbatina, it's called. To make a house for God, prepared to be sacrifice, bring the sacrifices. To go visit three times a year. That the not come until now. May we be zeicher. We will start these three weeks in Yerushalayim and Akedish with Mashiach Tzidkenu. Good Shabbos to all, and if we have to fast, an easy fast.